0: we out of Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and I'm humbled by these words. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him and the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers that are what are you doing more than others? Sorry about that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect.
1: Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word and these straightforward and challenging words of Jesus. We ask, oh God, that you would speak to our hearts through the words of our Savior this morning. May we hear them, may we receive them, and may your spirit apply them to our lives and give us grace and strength to obey. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to turn to that text that our brother just shared with us from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. And as we said last week, we're taking some time to look at a a series over the next few weeks uh, on the hard sayings of Jesus. To step back and listen to his words, maybe some of the ones that we would be inclined to pass over. And the more that I'm looking for really convicting things that Jesus said, the more that I find them. He said things that that kind of hit people the wrong way. He said things that upset people. He, he said things that that upset the status quo, that stirred the pot. and our our modern sensibilities are offended by many of these same things as well. And even as those maybe who are familiar with hearing the words of Jesus, our natural inclination can be to soften them or take the edges off them a little bit. Well, he certainly didn't mean that. He probably was alluding to something else or just simply ignore them altogether. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares some, some things that maybe we'd rather not hear uh, this, and, and if you're new here, this is a little bit different. We, we normally are, are walking through a book of the Bible together. Uh, this series here, we'll be jumping around a little bit through different texts in the four Gospels. Uh, but here, we're once again in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus is in the middle of this uh formula that he's been going through over the past few verses, where he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. This is what you've heard taught. This is what you've heard from the law. But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I want you to hear authoritatively from me about this. Now, Jesus is not nullifying the law. He's not saying, don't pay attention to the Old Testament, to the law of Moses. But what he's saying is, let me give you the heartbeat behind it, because I wrote it, and I can tell you what The Father, the Son, and the Spirit intended behind this law. And there's been some things you've been misunderstanding throughout the Scripture. As always, Jesus wants to get to the heart. He's concerned about true heart change that results in lifestyle change. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But in these two groups of texts... We hear some powerful truths. The first one is that following Jesus means we don't get to retaliate. Being kingdom-minded Christ followers means that we don't get to get people back. He says in verse 38, "...you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." And they had indeed heard it said, it is in the law." You can read about it in Exodus 21-24 or Leviticus 24:20, 20, and it's also in Deuteronomy. This, is the, this was a law that governed the nation of Israel. It's a law that's referred in the Latin as lex talionis, law according to its kind. And this law was supposed to prevent vigilante justice and retribution that far exceeded the crime. And so, the people of Israel were supposed to live by this law, that that justice was done according to the kind of action that had taken place. It was not given, however, to foster vengeance. The law explicitly forbids that. But the Old Testament context reveals that the nation's judicial system was to be governed in this way. That things should be settled in court for this purpose. And, and Jesus isn't nullifying that. It's actually a pretty pretty good law to have. But what he's talking about is on an individual heart level. Because all the examples he gives here are now when people treat you poorly. He's not talking about let's let's change the law of the nation here. But he says, listen, as as personal individuals, we're not supposed to live that way, where we live by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, as we look at this, this is upsetting. This, this this, should, if we're hearing Jesus correctly, stir us up a little bit. Listen to what he says in verse 39. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. That is, if you have somebody coming at you and his has wronged you, has hurt you, you're not supposed to oppose yourself against them. That's what that that Greek verb means. It means to set yourself against them or resist by actively opposing this pressure. And he goes on to illustrate this in several ways, just to sort of help, help them clarify, give them some practical examples as to how they're to implement this word. So the first one he says... In verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. This would have been a very offensive gesture in the, in the first century. Uh, the, the idea, he mentioned specifically the right cheek, as most people were right-handed, the idea would have been it would have been a backhanded slap. It, this, was, this was clearly something to, to do as a, as, a, as, a, as a way to degrade Someone else, to, to, it, was, it was meant to be not only a verbal, but a physical put-down. The, the message that would have been communicated through that would have been very, very clear that I don't like you. I, I, I think you're a, a worthless. I think you're a bad person. It was clearly an offensive insult. And Jesus says, I want you to turn the, and offer them the other cheek. Not as sarcasm, not as, as a... As a I didn't even feel that one. Try it again. But as, a, as a, a symbolic gesture that I'm not going to retaliate. As a follower of Christ, he's called me to live differently. The second example he gives them would have been equally as shocking. He says, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Now for us, who have multiple, most of us anyways, have many changes of coats and clothes and uh, various seasonal garb uh, in our closets, maybe this isn't such a big deal. But for the average person, you had, you had uh, very few sets of clothes and usually only one outer garment, one coat that, that went over top. And that was, that was actually forbidden by Jewish law to take that away from somebody because it, it was often their only source of keeping warm at night. And would be used as a blanket uh, during their sleeping time. And so Jesus says, listen, if someone, if someone comes after you for this, why don't you just give it to them? You don't have to live in a way where you're always standing up and protecting your, your right to have things your way. He says in my third way of example... He says if in verse 41 if anyone forces you to go 1 mile go with him too. This was likely a reference to Roman uh, the legal the legal right that Roman soldiers had to impress work on local residents or their even their animals labor and they may say listen I want you to do this and you don't have any any say in the matter? They could legally do that. In fact, it, you read about it uh, in in Jesus as um, as he was going to the cross. When uh, I believe it was Simon was was commanded to carry the cross for Jesus. He didn't have a right to say no. He was asked by a Roman soldier. It, it wasn't a question. It was a demand, and he had legally to say yes. And Jesus is saying here now: If a soldier comes along and says, "I need your donkey," or "I need you to carry this for me," and I want, I, I need you to 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 take this for a mile, he's saying offer to carry it another mile. His fourth example in verse 42, give to the one who asks and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now he makes it a little more general, and he says when, when somebody comes to you and asks you for something, don't turn them away. Someone wants to borrow something, and it's important to you it's a prized possession he said be generous give to them don't live in a way where you're constantly saying i i shouldn't have to do this you can see just by these couple of examples like we can all feel in our hearts like i wouldn't do that one are you kidding me somebody slaps me i'm gonna lay him flat on his back like, that's what went through some of our minds as we're reading this here. But Jesus said, listen, as followers of Christ, our lives need to be different. Now, Jesus isn't calling us to extreme literalism, we must apply them with wisdom. He's not saying like, these words weren't meant to excuse abuse or physical violence. It's not that Christians must never, ever, ever fight back under any circumstances or defend someone who's innocent or someone who's attacking a family member. That, that's, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that Christians must, and one writer says it this way Christians must value others above themselves in concrete and consistent ways. Like, if, if we're not, if we're not. Doing things in such a way that others are getting put to a higher priority in place than our own needs and wants and demands, we're not following the way of Christ. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. This is how Jesus lived, not just in his death, but in his life. We saw this just a few months ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, when we read this. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And he was, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus was calling them to value others more than their possessions. To see that winning souls was more important than winning arguments. To see others declared righteous by God through Jesus Christ, than for us to be declared righteous in a human court because we fought for what we knew was ours. Another writer says, "...in the midst of the disciples salt and light witness in the world, they should expect dishonor, physical suffering, and even imprisonment, and they must not retaliate in kind. My brothers and sisters, how does this look in our lives? Do people see in concrete ways that we're not the kind of folks who are always demanding our rights, always demanding that I deserve this, I earn this, but rather our pouring ourselves out for others with the possibility of nothing in return, with the possibility of no gratitude, with the possibility and even likelihood of hurt. I want to once again remind you that um, just because I'm preaching on a text of Scripture doesn't mean I've mastered it. I'm not up here saying that this is easy, that this is natural, that there's not gray areas when it comes to this. This is the importance of being led by the Spirit of God and being willing to say, okay, God, this this feels really hard right now. I feel like I I need to be getting even. I feel like I need to be demanding something in return. I feel like I need to be standing for my rights right now, but I sense the Spirit of God is calling me to step back and being willing to, to let my bank account dropped down a little bit, or or my name be maligned because you're calling me to love this person in a way that is not of this world. The second challenge that Jesus gives us from this passage is that following Jesus means we don't get to choose who we love. Following Jesus means we don't get to choose who we love. In the very next verse, in verse 43, he said, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you have, depending on how your Bible marks out, uh, some of your Bibles will mark out Old Testament quotes, and you'll see the first half of that, if, if you have one of those Bibles, you'll see the first half of that is, at least in mine, is marked with in bold, love your neighbor, because that is a direct quote from the law. But then the last half is not a quotation from the law, And Jesus adds, "Love your neighbor and hate your enemy." You've heard it said. Well, the law never taught us to hate our enemy, but somewhere along the line that was picked up, and Jesus felt the need to say, "You've heard this taught." Now, we don't know there. There could have been some rabbis who were teaching that. It may have been just a general consensus among the people that that was the implication. Hey, we're supposed to love our neighbors, but he didn't say that we couldn't hate anybody, and maybe there's some people that it's okay to hate. In fact, there, we know for sure that there was at least one Jewish sect from the Qumran community that, that did teach this, that this was God's will, that you hate your neighbors. But for whatever reason, that had been picked up, and so there was, among at least some of the people, this mentality that there are people I need to love, but then there's some people it's okay if I hate. And and let's be honest, like, our flesh would kind of like to hear that. Like, you're telling me that not only can I just ignore certain people, but I can, like, hold on to some bitterness in my heart towards people? All right. And Jesus is blowing that out of the water and saying, no, that's not how we live. That's not how you've been called to live. Jesus makes just a couple of slight changes even in his wording here from the old testament from the singular enemy in verse 43 he makes it plural in verse 40 verse 44 but i tell you love your enemies just in case there was some something left in somebody's mind that's like okay well Maybe he's not talking about everybody. He, he wants to make sure that they know that this is universal. They're supposed to love all. He also includes in the command the present tense imperative, stressing the ongoing need for this a- attitude, the language here in the original indicates that it's not just like, okay, I'm going to do it today. Like, it's their birthday, so I'm going to be nice to them. It's Christmas. Everybody's got to be nice to each other around Christmas time. So, But the, this, there's the the language here in the original indicates that this is to be an ongoing posture towards those who might be our enemies. This was revolutionary. Nowhere were God's people specifically commanded to love their enemies. It was implied, and that's why Jesus later on would, would, in the the parable of the Good Samaritan, when somebody asks, who's my neighbor? He's wanting to clarify this question. Who is it that I absolutely have to love? And Jesus is saying, there's nobody who falls outside of that sphere. Do you hear what he's saying? We don't get to hate people. We don't get to harbor bitterness towards people. We don't get to pick people out that we don't like and treat them harshly, rudely, no matter what they've done to us. These are hard words because unless unless you're not listening, every one of us has someone who has flashed in our mind in the last five minutes. <laughs> Come on. We've all been hurt. We've all been offended. Some of you have been, have been grievously abused physically, emotionally, sexually, in, 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 in all kinds of ways. You've had people who have mistreated you in perhaps some of the most ungodly ways. Jesus here isn't saying we need to put ourselves back in the path of our abuser and and that sort of a thing. But He's taking away any excuse to hate anyone. You see, Jesus, as He talks about what it means to follow Him, he makes it clear that it's going to be different. Life in the kingdom is different. And, and we're not going to get it right all the time. But never should we be okay with not getting it right. Listen, my brothers and sisters, let us not excuse our sin with phrases like, well, that's just the way I am. Or, but if you knew what had happened, listen. I I've heard story I sat on the phone yesterday listening to a story of horrific abuse utterly heartbreaking Jesus doesn't get doesn't give us a pass to say well okay them you can hate them well for that you can hold on to that bitterness that anger One writer says, true surpassing kingdom-entering righteousness is seen as that heart-fueled way of being in the world that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. This love that Jesus speaks of is a generous love. It's a warm love. It's a costly, self-sacrificing love for another's good. We read about this in Romans 13 when Paul wrote this. He said, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. And this is exactly what our Lord and Savior lived out. John Stott points out that even as they were driving the nails into His hands, even as they were driving the nails into Him on the cross, Jesus prayed for his tormentors. Indeed, even in that tense, the imperfect, or even in that passage, the imperfect tense suggests that he kept praying, kept repeating his entreaty. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, them, they do, what they do. If the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayers for His enemies, then what what pain, what pride, what prejudice, or what sloth could justify the silencing of ours? If Jesus prayed for His tormentors, the only righteous person ever to live was being murdered unjustly the most unjust act that's ever taken place in the history of everything. And he was praying for his enemies. What does that say about you and I? You and I who are sinners. You and I who who deserve far more than what we get. Listen, at the end of the day, This radical way of being with people, people in these pews, people outside these walls, people at our family reunions, this radical way of being with people is only accomplished through a changed heart. There's not a single one of us who has a will strong enough to walk out of here and do this the way Jesus acts. You might mend a relationship, or you might do good for a few days, but there's not a single one of us, because our, our, our fleshly strength does not have the ability to do something as crazy as this, to choose not to retaliate when we're wronged, and to love those who are really hard to love. By the way, when he says enemies, I think he's also talking about people who really annoy us, too, just as a side note. You can interchange that because you might some of us might be sitting out there thinking well, I don't have enemies but I got a lot of people I don't want to be around okay same thing we're just saying the only way we can do this is with a changed heart this is this is why the gospel is essential this is why we need to rehearse the gospel to us every day or to ourselves every day you you've heard me quote this is one of my favorite quotes that I've, I've ever read John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, on his deathbed, he said, my my memory is nearly gone. My life's nearly at an end, but I, I can remember two things, that I am a great sinner and I have a great Savior. The gospel tells us that each and every day we need the grace of God. I'm going to have to go to God before the day's out and repent of my desire to get back at someone, to get the last word in that argument, to 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 make sure that they know I'm right, or to make sure that they know that they they deserved something that I was so kind as to not give them, or whatever that that that, that retaliation and that pride manifests itself. I'm going to have to go and, and repent of of ungodly attitudes towards people that have, that have hurt or offended me. We need the gospel every single day. We need to come to the cross and say, Jesus, I've, I've, I've bombed it here today. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has taken that sin. He nailed it to the cross even before you were a jerk to that person who was a jerk to you. And he paid the penalty for it. In coming before him in, in gratitude and saying, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me for this. But you see, the gospel isn't just about forgiveness when we've done something wrong. The gospel is about power to do what is right, to do what we can't imagine doing on our own. The Apostle Paul at the end of Romans, in Romans 16:25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches us that the gospel gives us strength, that Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection in our place, He enables us to do these insane things that Jesus calls us to do. There's none of us who are going to get this right this side of the kingdom 100% of the time. But as followers of Jesus, it should be our desire to become more and more like Jesus in this regard. Let me just give you one practical application is before we pray. I really would like each and every one of you to, to do this. You may not be able to do it right now because it, it could be the person sitting next to you. Um, but I'd like you all to write down a name today. If, if you've been paying attention, and, and unless, unless you're already perfect, <laughs> you've, you've had a name come through your mind this morning. Maybe, you, maybe you've already started writing a list. That's great. All of us have, there's got to be more than one name. I mean, I'm not, I can't be the only one here. But just start there with one. God, it's so hard. Like, when this... When he comes to mind, when she comes to mind, I just get so angry. And the pain that they caused. Some of us, that person comes to mind, and we we feel our fists clench. We want to get even physically violent, or that hurt, or that person that you, you you want to avoid and and not talk to. So you. Pass by a different aisle in the grocery store or it, come in a little later at church on Sunday mornings, you don't have to see them. Sometime today, jot down that name and just start praying. We've got to start somewhere. and If God is going to strengthen our hearts in this regard so that we might love those who are hard for us to love so that we might choose not to retaliate when we feel like we've got every right to stand up and say, look at this. They deserve this because they did this. May God soften our hearts. This is a supernatural work, my brothers and sisters. This is not a work of our own hearts. It's a supernatural work that comes about through the grace of God. As we listen to these hard sayings of Jesus, may we not get discouraged May we not walk away and say, well, forget about that, or I'm going to just kind of ignore this page, maybe kind of fold it over so I don't have to see that again, but may our hearts be humbled and encouraged that He's gone before us and doesn't call us to walk this journey alone, but longs for us to take His yoke and to walk beside Him as He strengthens us and encourages us to do the impossible, to be willing to turn our cheek, to be willing to love our enemies. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the words of our Savior, even though they're hard to hear. When You laid this before me, you know, my strong temptation to just pass it over. This morning, I I pray that you you would convict us with regards to these two areas of demanding our rights and retaliation and loving those in our lives who we'd rather not have to love. God, we cannot do this apart from your strength, the strength that the gospel provides, knowing that our substitute made a way for us to be equipped to do these these things that just seem otherwise impossible, that would otherwise be impossible. We thank you, God, for the strength that you supply. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of love towards those just rub us the wrong way. May we have wisdom and discernment in this that for those who have been through abuse, those who have been through uh, uh, areas in in such painful relationships, knowing that forgiveness and love doesn't necessarily mean letting that person back into your life, but choosing to let go of that bitterness. But in so many other instances, Lord, help us to, to not make excuses for ignoring people, for shunning people, for turning our backs on people, for choosing to avoid people. I pray that we would repent of those, and by your grace, may we love like Jesus loves. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father who loved us and gave himself for us, and gives us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, May this Lord Jesus comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.